Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's a Wednesday edition right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. It's brought to you by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football Giants. I am John Schmelk. He is Lance Meadow. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. Pearson Butler is off to Las Vegas. Mostly to party is my understanding. (laughs) Um, A a lot of clubbing for for Pearson. Oh, I didn't know he had that in him. Yeah. Oh, yes. Big time clubber. So he'll be out there. Trist, Rain, all the other clubs out there. I'm not even sure they all exist anymore because I have not been in Vegas club in about 10 years. But all of the Vegas clubs, you will find Pearson Butler out there. So the one and only Dan Salamone, who used to run this ship a very long time ago and now basically runs the website and writes for the website, he is in the chair. So give Dan a break. Bear (laughs) with him. As we have some fun here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Yeah. I mean, Dan's a renaissance man, by the way. Oh, he can do everything. Yes. That's true. Mr. Versatility. Absolutely. So yesterday, if you can go check out the beginning of the show, Lance gave the biographical breakdown of Shane Bowen and Tim Kelly to the Giants. Tim Kelly, new tight ends coach. Shane Bowen, the defensive coordinator. They're... um, Basically, biography in terms of what they've done. He broke down some of the rankings and defensive rankings. I want to bring a little bit more nuance to it today because they didn't have much time to react on it yesterday. The news kind of just broke. Basically, I spent all afternoon yesterday and all this morning taking a look at some detailed numbers on Bowen's defenses over the years. Then I watched two full games. I watched their game against the Seahawks in Week 16 last year, and then I watched their season-ending game against the Jaguars, where they basically knocked Jacksonville out of the playoffs. Against two good quarterbacks and good offenses in Geno Smith, Trevor Lawrence, Seahawks, and the Jaguars. So I'll give you a couple things that that I think come to mind first. Lance went through the rankings yesterday. Obviously, there was some deterioration in terms of how they ranked over the course of the years. Uh, Run defense, much better than the pass defense. Best run defense in the league in 2022. Second best run defense in the league in 2021. Dropped to 13 Last year, pass defenses were more in the bottom quartile when you take a look at where they were. Overall points around the middle of the league, generally speaking, between 6th and 17th, etc., etc., etc. But one thing that I always look at is personnel, right? Because a coach is only as good as their personnel. I'm old enough to remember when Andy Reid was the coach that couldn't— he was basically the Mike McCarthy 
of the early 2000s, the coach that coached well in the regular season but can never get over the hump in the playoffs. And, you know, it's amazing, and this is not a shot at Donovan McNabb because he was a really good quarterback too, how much better a coach looks in the playoffs when they get Patrick Mahomes quarterbacking for them instead of Donovan McNabb. Or add Travis Kelsey as well. Yes. Doesn't hurt. It's funny how talent helps you. So this goes for all coaches, by the way. As you know, my belief is that this is a player's league and the talent is what makes teams great. And then coaching, obviously, is also essential. But talent has to be the first part of the equation. So I took a look. And Shane Bowen took over the Titans defense in 2021 as their defensive coordinator, right? So I started in 2021. First of all, the last two years, Lance, in 2023 and 2022, the Titans were basically up against the cap. They did not add any significant defensive pieces in free agency. Sean Murphy bunting was the only significant addition, and that was last year at cornerback. And he's not exactly some number one shutdown corner, okay? In the draft, they did not draft one defensive player in 2023. They drafted one defensive player in 2022 in the second round. So they went two straight drafts without adding a significant defensive piece, except for one, Roger McCreary, who was their slot corner for those two years. Didn't add anyone significantly in free agency. Well, who'd they lose? From 2021 to 2023, they lost their middle linebacker, David Long, who's a really good player. They lost Bud Dupree, who was an edge rusher. They had Harold Landry, who was on the roster, but he got hurt a lot, so he missed a lot of games. They lost Janoris Jenkins at corner, who was a good outside cornerback. Got older, it happens, what are you going to do? And they lost Kevin Byard, their safety, in 2023, who was an excellent safety, really good player. So they think, traded him away, Byard, correct to Philadelphia, right? Yeah. But he wasn't on the roster. No, sure, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. you take a look at why the defense kind of dropped in ranking over the course of those three years. Well, you could look at how the talent deteriorated from year to year over the course of those three. They seasons. also had injuries this past season too. Jeffrey Simmons missed some time, who obviously is their best player up front without anybody else coming close. Yep, absolutely. So I think that's important to to take a look at why maybe the overall rankings in the defense might have dropped a little bit because the talent wasn't as good over the course of those three years. That's number one. I assume you went through the red zone and third down defense yesterday. Yeah, I mean, red zone defense and the run defense, those are the two staples that stand out about Tennessee's defense, really over the three-year span, if you're looking for the art of consistency. Yeah, and the red zone defense was first this year, seventh in 2021, 15th in 2022. So it was was good throughout. Uh, Goal-to-goal defense, which I like to look at too, first this year, 10th in 2021. It wasn't as good in 2022. But yes, agreed with that. You mentioned the differentiation in the blitz rates yesterday, which I think is very important, right? If you look at the blitz rates for the Titans, 22nd, 26th, and 22nd. Very consistent over the course of his three years was Shane Bowen. Anywhere from 22% to 27%. So that was the sweet spot where he landed in terms of blitz rates. Now, what I found interesting when I dug in a little bit deeper here, Lance, was what he does with his pressures and when he brings his pressures. His, I, I cycled this down to just third down and how much they blitz on third down. Because, you know, Wink on third down, what did he do? Brought the heat. On third down in 2023, the Titans had the lowest blitz rate in the league at just 20%. In 2022 on third down, the Titans had the second lowest blitz rate in the league at 19%. And then in 2021, they were 25th in the league uh, at 26%. So their blitz rate on third down dropped, which is usually the opposite. Teams usually blitz more on third down 
than they do otherwise. So that's one thing I thought was interesting. The other number that I looked at that I thought was significant was stunt rate. And the Giants blitzed a lot. They did not stunt a lot under Wink Martindale. They just, not something that they did a whole lot. Well, that's not the case for the Titans. Look at the overall stunt rate. 13th this year, 16th last year, 9th in 2021. So kind of in that second quartile of the league, somewhere between 9th and 15th, 9th and 16th, right? But if you go to third down and you cycle it down, Titans were third in the league in third down stunt rate this year. In 2021, second in the league in third down stunt rate, and they were 12th in the league in 2022. Throw in this final number. You look at overall blitz rate, Lance. Well, simulated pressures, which basically means you send four, but it's coming from a different spot. So you'll drop on your alignment, but you bring a corner. You bring a safety, you drop on your alignment. You know, you could run zone blitzes out of that. The, the, the Steelers and Dick LeBeau were always oh, yeah. famous for running those And he also was a former D.C. in Tennessee. 100%. Yeah. So they were near the top of the league in simulated pressures. In terms of percentages of their pressures that were simulated, they were eighth this year, fifth last year, first in 2021. So that's a new vogue thing in the NFL, running simulated pressures. The Titans did a lot of that. So they blitzed their slot corner a ton. They were third, third, and second in slot corner blitz rate over the last three years. So on third downs, you're going to see let's overall blitzing, more simulated blitzes, a lot of slot corner blitzes, but a lot of stunts. So they're going to play a lot more coverage on third downs with two safeties deep. They play a lot of quarters coverage. Don't play nearly as much man defense as Wink did. I can go through those numbers for you if you want. In terms of man coverage, cover one percentage, 20th this year, 16th last year, 14th in 2021. Cover four, fifth, second, and seventh. That's their, in terms of league rankings, their highest coverage tendency. And then they, but they really mix it in, Lance. Like this year, for example, 17% cover one, 12% cover two, 30% cover three, 22% cover four. So that's a nice split where you're varying your coverages. And I was watching with Dan some of the tape from last year. Unless teams have two or three tight ends in, then they'll kind of drop that safety into the box to stop the run. Otherwise, they're going to start in two safeties deep coverage a lot. And then they're going to adjust off of that. They'll drop into single high and man, single high and cover three. Or they'll just keep both safeties back and play cover two, cover four, cover six, which is basically two deep safety zone defenses, cover three, single high safety zone, cover one, single high safety man. So it's a lot of trying to disguise two safeties deep start, and then you'll rotate out of that. Not a lot of blitzing on third down, but a lot of stunts and a lot of simulated pressures where, again, You'll double mug linebackers sometimes. They'll drop. A corner will come. You know, things like that. So it's a little bit different than what the Giants had when Wink Martindale was here in terms of passing downs and the big money down third down in terms of how he approaches those situations. Well, and also remember, personnel dictates all of that too. Sure. And I think, to me, one of the biggest differences is you know, he didn't have the manpower in the secondary when he was in Tennessee. So now that he has a Deontay Banks-level player, remains to be seen who the other corners are going to be next year based on the draft and free agency. Yep. But if he feels he has the cover guys, maybe he doesn't have to be as aggressive 
because he just says to himself, okay, these guys can go out on an island and they can handle themselves. I think, you know, that's why we're, we're applying what he did with Tennessee. But remember, the personnel groupings are completely different. I brought this up yesterday. I think the only similarity between Tennessee and the Giants is Jeffrey Simmons versus Dexter Lawrence. I think there's the similarity there. And, and only to an extent because Simmons didn't play nose tackle. He rarely played well, over the center. He was the more usage. three technique yeah, type, But you so. got that big presence yep. at least up front. I'll leave it Danico, at that. And they also had Danico Autry. Danico Autry, Autry who's also a good yep. edge rusher too. And, and then the other common element to me is the young pass rusher in terms of development. He helped develop Harold Landry. So what could he do with a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau? Yeah. Outside of that, I think it stops there. I think there's a boatload of differences in terms of experience, personnel, and that's going to dictate, in Shane Bowen's mind, how he's going to utilize this personnel. So, I mean, I think we're giving you a nice overview of his tendencies, but John, for all we know, he could go in a different direction Sure, with the Giants. Absolutely. It's hard to say because, once again, the personnel groupings are not going to be identical. Yeah, the one thing that I look at that I get a little nervous about is the big plays that the Titans defense allowed through the passing game. And I think that's the secondary reflection I'd go back to. Right, and again, yeah. I think you do look at the talent on the back half. They did not have a shutdown corner yeah. you know, in that group, really, at all. It was kind of a group that the Titans did not emphasize in their roster building. You know, again, again, they drafted McCurrier in the second round. They tried to draft Caleb Farley in the first round in 2021 to help the corner spot, and then he's he's been hurt. He's barely played. So I think they tried to address that spot, but I, I don't think they were playing with the best. You know, Malik Hooker is a is a pretty good safety. Kevin Byard was a good safety. They've traded Byard away this year. To your point, so I think they were trying to figure things out. But if there's one thing that I would look at, I'd say, all right, try to figure out a way to cut down on those big plays a lot. Which it's funny. If you're not blitzing a lot and you're not playing a ton of men, you figure you wouldn't have a ton of those big plays. But I guess in their quarters coverages, they get the safeties try to get a little nosy in the middle of the field and they can you know lose guys over the top. So that's kind of where I'm at in terms of um, where the Titans were in terms of how they ran some of their coverages. Well, and also speaking of the blitz and just sack numbers, it was between 39 and 45 the three seasons, which yep. really was in Giants territory where the Giants were amongst those years. So there wasn't a huge differential. And I'm talking about this is getting home. You know, you can impact the quarterback with quarterback hits, but if you're looking for sack totals, right around where the Giants had finished over the last three seasons. But they did it without blitzing as much as the Giants well, did. Well, of course, yes, because, I mean, Wink is number Correct. one and number two in the NFL uh, each and every season, it seems, since he's been the defensive coordinator. Which is good, though, because you do want to see the ability to get home yep. when you're not sending the house. So that's encouraging if he can help coach these guys up and they don't have to be ultra aggressive. I mean, that's a sign of a really good defense. I think in Wink's mind, he felt, especially since he had injuries up front and there was a bit of inconsistency in terms of production, if I'm going to get home, we got to send everybody. I don't think Bowen felt like that, but once again, different personnel could very well take him in a different direction. Yeah, and here. by the way, they did cut down on the big plays a lot through the air this year. They were 18th in the league, which was a lot better than it was. It's funny, their defense got worked this year overall, Tennessee, but they allowed fewer big plays through the air than they did the two years previous when their defense was actually better. So I thought that was an interesting number. They allowed, they were 18th in 20-plus yard passes allowed this year, which is, you know, fine, pretty much right in the middle of the league. Yeah. They were 32nd and 27th the two years before that. So they actually improved in that area, even if the overall defensive numbers maybe didn't look the same. And I wonder, too, if if part of that is, you know, the run defense got a little bit worse, but you didn't give up quite as many big plays. And maybe that was a, a balance they were trying to find there 
um, in terms of where Tennessee was in terms of those big plays. Well, and I was going to say, clearly they cleaned up a lot of that because yeah. of their red zone defense. Now, you don't want right. to necessarily live by that philosophy because eventually one of those explosive plays or two is going to hit for a touchdown. Can't expect that they're going to go down within the 10 and then you have that stingy red zone defense. Yep. So you don't want to see that trend pick up. But I think his defense was very good at, okay, we have some issues, but at the end of the day, we're going to keep them off the board because their scoring defenses were very respectable. 6th, 13th, and 17th. Yeah, I'll 20, take that. 20.8 points per game, 21.1 and 21.6. That's not bad at all. No, that's not bad at all. As opposed to the yardage, which I think a lot of people get caught up, but at the end of the day, the goal is you want to keep opposing teams off the scoreboard. The rest of this stuff hopefully will fall in place. Yeah, 18, 23rd, and 12th, or three years in, in terms of yardage. Two other nuggets I had here I thought that were interesting. Despite the fact that they were great, or not despite, even though they were great against the run, we mentioned first against the run 2022, second against the run in 2021. That's in terms of yards per game. Lance, they were, they had the second fewest and third fewest plays with eight men in the box in those two years. So they were not stacking the box to stop the run. They were just stopping the run. Yeah. Well, they got the some box. big guys up front. Correct. But I, mean, I, I think, you know, yeah. it's easy to stop the run if you throw eight men in the box all the time. But the Titans huh. were doing that without stacking the box, which which I do think is an important point. And then the other one I'll throw in there, too, they didn't. They were not great at taking the ball away. Uh, there's yeah. 14 takeaways this year, 20 the year before that, 22 the year before that. They were ranked 14th in 2021, 20th in 2022, 31st in 2023. So try to figure out maybe a way to, to get a couple more takeaways, too, as you move along here. But those are the main things that I kind of saw while I was doing my little diagnostic. Yeah, the takeaways jumped out to me, too, the lack thereof. One of the years they had 14 takeaways, which put them, you know, once again. That was that was last year. That was 2023. Right at yeah. the bottom of the NFL, whereas Wink's defenses are known for the complete opposite, especially based on what we experienced this season. This and year, for sure, yeah. I would argue also... See, that's why the takeaways are so critical because it's a mechanism to help clean up what you give up elsewhere. So if they give up the big plays, which you had documented, you got the takeaways, you know, that could still take away a possession or two. If you don't have the takeaways, what does that mean in terms of the ability to finish and keep the opposition off the board? That's something to pay attention to. The other thing about the guys in the box, I don't think he had a Bobby Okereke-esque player. In Tennessee, I would yeah, I mean, David Long was pretty good. Well, but he didn't have Long for the entire stretch. No, that's correct. Okay, so... He did have him for the years where he had two no, really no. good defenses, sure. though, which I think is telling. But you wonder, and Okereke also never came off the field, whereas correct. something tells me David Long did not play as many snaps, just based on what I recall throughout the course of his career. Does that then further influence not needing extra guys in the box because he feels good about... And throw in Micah McFadden, too. If McFadden and Okereke fit the bill of his run defense, which I don't understand why they wouldn't, that may say to him, I don't need to bring the extra personnel into the box because I feel with the seven guys, we're going to be able to stop the run. And between Dexter Lawrence and the two guys I mentioned at linebacker, I think those guys have proven that they could be a blueprint to contain that aspect. All right, and then just real quickly, what I watched on tape, I know people get obsessed with the front he plays and technically he runs a 3-4. I watched those two games. I saw a four-man front on 80% of the plays. To be honest with you, they were in sub all the time. They were not in base defense. And that's a lot. today's NFL. That's today's NFL. Now, I am interested in the way they arranged their front because I did not see a player lined up over the center very often in those four man fronts. So I'm curious to see if he makes an adjustment there to try to keep Dexter Lawrence over the center 
or if he's going to let him play, you know, more in between the guard and the center in that gap rather than over the center himself. So I'm curious to see how they handle that. That'll be fun to see how they utilize Dexter Lawrence and the type of unique player uh, that he is. You know, third down, you still see some of the stuff, unbalanced lines to kind of create some of those stunts. They mug up the linebackers, they drop him back, or they'll bring him depending on the play. Um, but again, I, I thought the front was interesting because, you know, you look at the depth charts online and like, all right, he runs a 3-4. You know, you'll see the five-man front and your traditional 3-4 when other teams have three tight ends on the field or jumbo packages, things like that. But otherwise, it's primarily, you know, four defensive linemen, which includes their outside linebackers, like Howard Landry. He would be one of those defensive ends, just like Kayvon Thibodeau would be here with the Giants. Two linebackers or one linebacker and then five or six DBs, depending on how they work it on that particular play, which is something the Giants did a lot of last year. Uh, only having Okereke as the only linebacker on the field in passing situation. So that's similar to what the Giants have done over the last couple of years. All right, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Don't forget, folks, go subscribe to the Giants Huddle Podcast. It's wonderful. We have a lot of good stuff up there. Yesterday, in my interview with Eric Eager, who's out there uh, at the Super Bowl, he runs analytics for Sumer Sports, which is a consulting company. That's trying to get in with a lot of these NFL teams. Used to be a pro football focus. And we kind of talked about what the data says in terms of team building, how the best way it is to utilize your resources in free agency versus the draft, trading up in the draft, trading down in the draft, those sorts of conversations, position value. I thought it was a good conversation as we kind of gear up for how the Giants are going to utilize their offseason resources. Later in the week, we have Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl. He kind of goes over what happened uh, at practice over the course of that week. You can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Just search for Giants Huddle Podcast. Go to the Giants mobile app or go to Giants.com slash podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to check out Draft Season. That's our draft podcast. So even if you're not a Giant fan or if you have if you're a Giant fan, you have friends that aren't Giant fans, but they like the draft, tell them to go subscribe to Draft Season. Tony, Pauline, and I talk everything draft. The episode just dropped today. You can find it on my Twitter feed as well. We broke down everything we saw uh, for a long eight days in Frisco, Texas, and Mobile, Alabama for the two college all-star games. All right, let's get to the phones. 201-939-4513. I love this. Hugo in New Jersey wants to talk about everything. Hugo, what's going on, man? Yeah, and I was going to make a couple comments about the de- new defensive coordinator, but I'll skip that for another day. I, basically, I'm withholding my opinion. Be- uh, on the surface, what, what you guys are describing kind of suggests that the pass rushers need need to win their one-on-one matchups. That I don't think that's happened enough with the Giants, and you can't underestimate sort of what um, Wink's blinking scheme did to cover up some of those deficiencies. Well, Hugo, you could also point, make the argument that maybe they weren't put in as many of those one-on-one situations with the chance to get home as quarterbacks are getting the ball out so quickly. So I'm with you. Well, I, I, I agree yeah. with you in your overall premise. This is going to require guys to win their one-on-one matchups more. The Giants used a first-round pick on Dexter Lawrence, a first-round pick on Kayvon Thibodeau, a second-round pick on Aziz Ojolari. Go win your one-on-ones. That's why we drafted you high, right? Or Bowen may choose to blitz a little bit more, too, to make up and compensate for some of those shortcomings, too. Like I said, there's going to have to be, and you guys suggested this, a marriage of personnel and scheme at some point. So that's why I'm withholding 
you know, the, the thought of deep safeties and the Giants stopping the run is not. <laughs> you know, me and Len from Columbia, Maryland, I've been calling all year about our run defense. But oh, no, let's totally let's, get it. Well, let's, remember, let's, McKinney's let's, also a free agent, too, who plays one of the safety positions. Well, he's not really, he's not that, he, he's not an enforcer in the run. But, but again, I well, want to move off that topic. Sure. Um, so uh, I think one entertaining thing um, you guys could do this offseason is have Jeff Fiegel's join for a little bit of uh, draft talk because with names like Fuaga, Fashano, Fakhani <laughs> in the draft, I would find that highly, highly entertaining. Oh, yes. And there's, and, some, and, other, and, and yeah. there's some other names in the you draft. Have, um, you have uh, Kingsley Suamatai from BYU. Uh, yeah. he, he's a guy. Yes, there, there there are some names in the draft this year that, that will throw Fiegel's for a loop. Absolutely. Well, even Latu from UCLA, his yep. first name sounds like his last name. Latu Latu, yep, correct. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, all oh, those yeah. guys. Yep. There are some winners in there. Okay. And so, by the way, Tony Pauline's not great at the name pronunciation either. So if you listen no, to the draft he's season. Not, no, I know. I've noticed, I've noticed that. In he the butchers some well. of them too. It's funny. <laughs> oh, well, John, I'm going to stay consistent through this offseason. You've heard me say it before. The Giants need an infusion of tough physical players and, and uh, what I've termed force multiplier. I think you've used that term as well. Um, so, um, Coming off the heels of the Senior Bowl, I'm going to give you a list of uh, players that I think fit what I would be looking for Sure, players. And by the way, they're across positions, I mean. So um, I'll, I'll start. And, and, and let me just describe. I'll, I'll, I might add some modifying comments, and then you can maybe address it at the end. Sure. Jackson Powers Johnson, the interior offensive lineman from Oregon. You, you know, as soon as I saw that guy move, one name came to mind, Chris Snead. Just by what body type and movement skills. I don't have one now, bad thing to say about him from what I saw in Mobile. He was great. And, and John, you know, there's a lot of. I don't. I don't want to trade to the back end of the first round to to draft to reach for a quarterback. If there's if there's a trade for this guy on the back end of the, of the first round because centers and guards drop, that would be the trade I would want to do. Just just a thought. Okay. Fuaga, uh from Oregon State, power player. Peyton Wilson. The linebacker from NC State, Cam Kitchens, the safety from Miami, Quinion Mitchell, cornerback Toledo, good player, Chris Haynes, offensive guard, Connecticut, good player. Not the most, not the most beautiful body, but leverage and anchor and toughness. And Malachi Corley, the wide receiver from Western Kentucky. Now, some of these guys are going to go in the first round. But if some of these guys drop to the second or third, I would not be unhappy with any of those guys. The only thing I is, think I think I think I think Corley Hugo's a little bit repetitive with Wandell, so I'm not sure that's a fit necessarily okay. because I think Corley would take Wandell off the field as kind of that slot gadget type guy. Um, their body type's a little bit different, but I think they would play a similar role in the Giants' offense. So I like him as a player, but I think the Giants already kind of have somebody that okay. would fit in that type of role. Fair, fair enough. Some of these guys are going to be there in the second and maybe even third. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure, round. yeah. They will be. So, absolutely. So, but but they bring the, I think they bring the attitude and, and physicality that I'd be looking for anyhow. Look, I, I respect Len from Columbia, Maryland quite a bit. I mean, he's a great fan, and he's been advocating the tight end position this offseason. And I think a couple of weeks ago he brought up Brock Bowers. And, John, you answered the question – I had about Brock Bowers because you used the the wor- the dreaded words, willing blocker, and and going back to my point about force multipliers, 
if I if a tight end was a very good blocker and an outstanding pass catcher, that to me is a force multiplier worth thinking about at number six because by having him on the field, you put the defense on their heels. They can't anticipate whether it's run or pass. Sure. But honestly, I'm done with players like Evan Ingram and even Darren Waller. Give me a guy like Jay Ferguson in the middle rounds. I don't know who's coming out of Iowa, Wisconsin, or Michigan this year. <laughs> but just get me that guy, you know? Um, so that's – oh. And, the, and then I guess the last thing. Yeah, and Hugo, unfortunately, there just aren't that many two-way tight ends coming out of college football anymore. Not, that not, is, not, 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 that not is not how they Barrett. train them up. It's, it's, it's just, and even Brock Bowers is only 240 pounds, yeah. right? The Sam Laporta last year, he didn't, you know, even though he was from Iowa, he was not a great blocker at Iowa. Dalton Kincaid was, right. you know, was was not a great blocker coming out. So you, you just, colleges don't use tight ends that way anymore. You're going to have more of the Evan Ingram types, and I think, you just have to decide on what type of player you want to you want to play at that position. I also think with Bellinger on the roster, I, I don't see the purpose of using high resources on a tight end. I just mm. I, I think between Waller and Bellinger on the roster, I, I think you have a combination of blocking and receiving threat. And I don't know how many more resources well, you could utilize on that one position when there's other needs across the board. That's a lot of resources to put in one position when you're not going to put all three of those guys on the field. Simultaneously, too. Yeah, yeah. That would that would that would be wow. more. Of a, that one would be more of a future pick for me. It's you know, a luxury be, pick to me. It, it that, that's yeah. how it comes no, off. To I me. agree with that. I think that's so. fair too. I'm with you on that. Okay. Okay. So, I'm, I'm I'm so conflicted about. Well, if it's let me start by saying if it's not a quarterback, I'm so conflicted about numbers, the sixth pick because I just keep going back and forth between tackle and receiver. Yeah, it's hard. And so so sort of the dilemma that Evan Neal has created here. And so I, I read a while back that the, that the one characteristic that made um, Odell so great was that he, he had such hip flexibility. He could just change direction on the fly without losing any speed. Yes. And I'm hearing the same thing about Malik Neighbors. Yes. Correct. And, and Correct. we are just <laughs> – but at the same time, we got this – I'm really struggling with it in my own mind. Uh, I, I know Jerry Reese was the kind of basketball on grass, and if you, if it's uh, you know an explosive player over a lineman, he would say he's the explosive player. Joe Shane's more. I I believe in. I think he said this, building it from the inside out. I agree with that. I, I think that's I, fair. John, I I just think look, um, the I think the one thing the fans this year are going to be very impatient with is a 12th straight year of bad offensive line play. I mean, last year was historically bad, but another bad year. And I'm kind of leaning. I, I, I want to see more of neighbors, but I'm kind of leaning tackle. Yeah, look, and, Hugo, I think it's a good question. And I think the, I think the question you asked, too, then, is twofold. The first question you ask yourself, well, can I improve the offensive line enough so that it's good and where it needs to be? without spending the sixth pick on an offensive tackle. Like, if you go and use your high second-round pick on a really good guard, that's going to start right away and be a good player. And you can find a guard at the top of the second round that's going to start right away and be and should be okay. You know, it sometimes takes offensive linemen a couple years. And then go sign a guard in free agency, 
and then you figure out right tackle as you go. That might make your offensive line good enough. You can figure out one weak link on the offensive line. You can chip on that side. You can help. We've seen other teams do that, right? So that I think yes, is one. So, yes. so 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 that is one question you have to ask. Then the second question you ask is this: Well, this wide receiver class is so deep. Can you find a difference-making player at that position with your first pick in the second round? And I think the answer to that question is yes. You know, you're going to have either a Tony mm-hmm. Franklin and Adonai Mitchell, Keon Coleman. One of those three guys will probably be sitting there at the top of the second round, even if you don't wait till your pick, what, 38, 39, whatever it yeah. is. You can then maybe move up a couple spots in round two to go get that guy when you get to day two of the draft. So as you make that call, wide receiver versus offensive tackle, though, and again, luckily we're going to have some clarification here, Lance, once we get through free agency to see what the Giants do at guard, to see how much they helped themselves out in free agency before you have to make yeah. this draft decision. Then I think those are the two questions as you kind of compile your overall offseason strategy what direction you might want to go with that sixth yeah. overall. Well, and it also depends on what they think of Evan Neal. I mean, remember, you talk about two straight seasons where he's been plagued by injuries. Can you bank on year three all of a sudden him 20? staying on the field and be doing it at a level that is consistent? He's so, played in 21 games in two years. Yeah, and whereas wide receiver, you know, Wondell Robinson, to me, I think is set up to have a big year next year that he'll be that much more removed from the torn ACL. Also, a pick outside of the first round. I think you could find talent that could help the quarterback. It's hard to bank on that outside of the first round at the tackle position. So I I think, to me, I think it comes back to if the tackle's there and you feel really good, A, you could start the tackle, and B, he's an insurance policy for Evan Neal. At least wide receivers, you can, you know, number one wide receivers don't become available in free agency anymore, but at least you could trade for them. You know what sure, I mean? Yeah. Like Tyreek Hill got yeah. traded recently. Devontae Adams got traded recently. Who knows if Stephon Diggs is going to get, you know, that interview at the Pro Bowl he gave didn't sound like a guy that knew he was going to be back in Buffalo. So, you know, you never, and I'm not saying the Giants are going to trade for him, but just generally Well, I mean, speaking, but remember, they're going to have to give up resources to get Stephon Diggs, and then they're no, not going to be totally able to understand. draft somebody. But so my, there's a give and take. The point being in terms of, and I talk about this with Eric Eager on the Huddle Podcast, and he goes, look, it's pretty clear that NFL teams value the offensive tackle more than the wide receiver. How and often rightfully do you see so, yeah. a top offensive tackle get traded? How often do you see a top offensive tackle Well, because tackle once they teams? have them, they're holding on to them and they're giving them the franchise tag or a new contract. That's why... And you pay, you pay, they paid Andrew Thomas two years ahead of time. Yeah, well, and that's why if you can get one in the draft high, I think without hesitation, you go after And them. the only reason Trent Williams changed teams is because they had that kind of falling out there from a non-football perspective. It's not like they didn't want Trent Williams on the team anymore. You had an issue between player and team. So And he also had ties to Kyle Shanahan when Shanahan right. was in Washington as well. Yeah. You got anything else you go? Well, uh, listen, all, all good points, but if the guy's really the second coming of Odell, it's like you're looking at it. and like. But I thought the same thing you you said, John, which is if, if Thomas stays healthy and you upgrade the other position, put a tight end on that side, chip, slide protection, cut, I mean, it's not what you want when you pick a guy seventh overall, but maybe that's, that's a step in the right direction. Okay, but and, and, but yeah. then it's, it's about building depth and... Yeah, staying healthy. Listen, thank you, Hugo. We saw what happened this year. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I mean, as good as Odell was, A, he couldn't stay healthy, number one. Later in his career, yeah. Well, yeah, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, that matters. B, they weren't winning a whole lot of games with him on the team, even though he was here. So it takes more than an explosive wide receiver. And you look at Kansas City. Okay, Kansas City, the tight end is the number one weapon. San Francisco, I would say, 
they have weapons. They no. don't necessarily have guys that are boxed into specific categories. They have so. four guys that could be a one for them in any game. Yeah. Kittle, McCaffrey, Debo, and Ayuk. But unique skill sets. Yes. In, in terms of what all of those four guys bring to the table, they don't necessarily, once again, fit into a nice, neat column. So I think the two teams that are in the Super Bowl are proving... Not to say that you shouldn't strive to get an Odell Beckham-esque player, but just because you get an Odell Beckham-esque player doesn't mean you're a lock to win your division and have a deep postseason run, because I think the Giants obviously experienced that firsthand. So I wouldn't get too caught up in the comparison to Odell, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and honestly, and I don't want to go down this whole draft conversation, there's going to be people in the league that have neighbors behind Roma Dunzier. Oh, and vice versa, sure. Yeah. So... If you look at how the Giants are set up in terms of their wide receiver core, they're missing that traditional X-wide receiver, that bigger guy that can win on single coverage on the narrow side of the field, you know, on the boundary side of the field, you know, the same side you have the ball on the hash mark. You know, I think Adunzier fits that role within that giant receiving core maybe a little bit better than neighbors who played a ton of slot at LSU, for example. And that's a spot where I would use him a lot in the NFL. Not that he can't play outside, but you already have Wondell Robinson there, a guy that I wouldn't necessarily play outside in the NFL, right? So that's another thing. What's your fit? I have neighbors ahead of Adunzier. If I'm drafting for a neutral team, right? If I'm like starting a team from scratch, I would have neighbors as a better prospect than Adunzier. But you're not drafting a player to a blank slate of a team. You're drafting him on to this team where Adunzier might be a better fit in terms of his overall skill set. So I think that's an interesting conversation to have, too. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, do you want the explosive player, which is where Neighbors comes into play, and they even utilized him a little bit out of the backfield and they moved him around, whereas Adunzier, I think, is more of the vertical guy that adds a new dimension to the Giants' offense. I think both players are going to be impactful year one, wherever they go. It's a matter of, and remember, we revisited this conversation when we had Sterling Shepard and Wandell Robinson, a lot of small guys. I mean, the entire receiving core was built like that. The problem was, and this is why you didn't get into the position where there was too much repeating because all of these guys couldn't stay healthy. So you went into the season thinking there's too much duplication and then you got five weeks into the season and what, only one or two were at your disposal. So I also don't get so caught up in the duplication because, John, the way we're talking about a team entering week one, it's very different with how it looks at week six. But on paper, I'm with you. Dunzier provides more diversification in the receiving core than what neighbors would bring to the table. And neighbors is a small, by the way. He's six foot, two hundred pounds. It's not like he's, he's just five, a shifty 10, guy for a six two guy. Yeah, That's all. Neighbors yeah. is more like Odell. Dunzier yeah. is more like your Julio Jones or AJ Green. Both elite players, but they play the position a little bit differently. Because I think Odunzier plays to his size, and yep. maybe Neighbors doesn't make the size that well-known. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have size. It's just you don't see those type of plays. You see them get him out in open space. He's elusive. He makes guys miss. Whereas Odunzier, he'll play to his size, meaning you throw the ball up to yeah, him. Yeah, like, for example, Neighbors is more like a Justin Jefferson type to me, right? And you want to take guys from the same team? Well, I'll do that. Odunzier is more Jamar Chase type. Jamar Chase is more of your outside vertical receiver, right? Same draft class, I think, yeah. is what you meant. Yeah, no, okay. And, no. Well, yeah, and well, it was okay. Well, because I thought you meant. Oh, that's true. I was. Yeah. I thought I was thinking Vikings. I thought yes. you were getting no, another no, no, Vikings wide receiver. That's what I was. And waiting you know, Jamar for. Chase so. is, and Jamar Chase does play in the slot a little bit too. And you can put a Dunze in there. Obviously, Washington did, but he's more of your vertical 
wide receiver, right? So that's how I kind of separate the two guys out just a little bit. Sorry for interrupting you. I no, think. no, that's fine. I was just, I was just, I was anticipating another Viking reference, no, and I was going to be like, is he going to throw KJ Osborne out no, here? It was not. LSU. About, see, I would have <laughs> went maybe Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. I thought maybe you were going to go a little bit too. No, you know what? And I think Junzie is a more athletic T. Higgins. Yeah. He's probably so. he's he's shiftier and faster than T Higgins, but he has that he has the same size as T Higgins does, which is why Adunzie is such a oh my god, he's sixteen hundred like his numbers last oh, yeah. year are off the charts good. Yeah, and, and you saw passes down the sideline where they would air it out and then he'd be there to get into the end zone. That's why I mean with that vertical dimension, which yep. clearly the Giants would like as and well. And Adunzie, I think, you know, better blocker too. The neighbors is though. My understanding is that neither of those guys are quote unquote diva wide receivers. They're not that type of personality and that type of guy too, which I think is a nice thing to have at that wide receiver position, which can get volatile depending <laughs> on the type of personality you have. There. Well, I was going to say, I, I think most people were blocking for neighbors as opposed to neighbors blocking well, for them. That's true. Based on his style Absolutely. of play. Let's go to Aiden in New Jersey. He's up next here on big blue kickoff live. Aiden, what's going on? Hi, how's it going? We're good. Okay, so I was wondering, obviously Saquon's made it obvious that he wants to stay, he wants to be a giant for life, but my concern is, like, obviously I don't think we're going to franchise tag him again, and just in case he he was to leave, what you think uh, the Giants, uh, what you guys think would be best in order to replace him, whether he goes through free agency, obviously there's guys like Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler out, there that you could sign. Well, or, it, well let, let me. Uh, no, okay. No, no I, I, I was just going to jump in, Aiden. Here's the thing: if you get rid of Saquon, and it has to do with finances, all the other guys you mentioned are going to cost money. Took the words so, out of my mouth. What's the purpose <laughs> of not signing Saquon at that price uh, and then spending that money on other guys? And oh, by the way, Eckler's injury prone, and Derrick Henry's got a lot of wear and tear in his body. So, I mean, that's okay. the first thing that came to my Tony, mind when you were setting up yeah. this hypothetical. And Tony Pollard's not coming off his best season, and he broke his ankle last year so yeah oh absolutely just my thing is like i i just feel like taekwon wants money obviously that's why he held out last well do, year. doesn't Derek and austin eckler want money too everybody <laughs> everybody you find me a player money. that doesn't want money aiden <laughs> yes, exactly. and, and i'll be all ears exactly. yeah and i'm not really into college football i looked into the guys like coming into a draft it doesn't seem like it's a great class but obviously in it's not years yeah Last year, obviously, Kyron Williams in the fifth round and Isaiah Pacheco was the seventh rounder. So there's been guys who have been able to make sparks in later sure. rounds. So what do you guys think the best solution if, like, if we're not able to get Saquon and obviously the offensive line's been uh, so bad? Well, I mean, once again, if they don't sign Saquon, I would be surprised if they use that level of resource to go after somebody else. Because Saquon, he knows the offense. You know him. He knows you. Why would you then bottle up that money in somebody that's unfamiliar? I think Eric Gray, who they drafted in the fifth round, would be a guy that they would probably utilize a lot more. You know, Gary Brightwell is also still a young player that doesn't have a lot of mileage on his tracks. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you'd go younger at the position, and then you would probably, if I were the Giants, you'd look to maybe add a veteran like a Matt Breida to help offset the inexperience yep. of those two guys. And, 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 and I'll throw some names out there. These are some of the veteran free agents that maybe you could get for you know five, six million a year, somewhere in that area. 
DeAndre Swift's a free agent from, 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 from the Eagles of Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. That's a guy. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, I would not go near because he's injuries. had so many no. season-ending injuries, but he's yeah. a guy. Swift has been beat up too, by the way. Did Brian Dable like having Devin Singletary in Buffalo? He's a guy that's a free agent. Had a nice year with the Texans. And he had a nice year with the Texans this year. Uh, A.J. Dillon, do you want a bruising running back? He's a free agent from the Green Bay Packers. He's a guy. How about Zach Moss, another guy that Brian Dable had in Buffalo who had a really nice year in Indianapolis. So those are some guys that you could have for less than half than what, you know, the rumors are that, you know, uh, a running back franchise tag number, let's say. So those are some of the veterans that I think you can then compliment Eric Gray, or maybe you you know you you find a fourth or fifth round running back in the draft, and they turn out to be. Uh, remember, you don't need to have a twenty carry a game running back. You can have two ten carry a game no. running back. So yeah. you can find in this draft there are a bunch of guys that are smaller but explosive that can't carry the load but can maybe play fifty percent of the snaps for you. So you can find a running back late that has a skill set even if they're not a full time back. So. I'm with Lance. I think the the kind of strategy he prescribed is exactly the one I would go through if it doesn't work out and Saquon doesn't end up coming back. Miles Sanders is a guy that hit the free agent market last year. He got Great about example. $6 million a year, which was a pretty low number compared to what I think he thought he was going to get and compared to the franchise tag. So they could go that route. You, know, you get a guy $5, 6000000 million a year, and there's your veteran guy. And then to John's point, most NFL teams operate where they utilize three backs and they divvy up the resources over the course of a game. It's very rare that you have a Derrick Henry-esque type of setup where the second back barely tastes or the Saquon. field. Or Saquon. Yeah. Saquon setup. Saquon too. But yeah. because of Saquon's injuries, they were forced to right. at least showcase some other running backs over the last few years. But the Giants could very well operate with three different style backs handling the load. I don't think that that's a stretch oh. at all. Oh, thank you, Aiden. Sorry, I lost you there. If you want to call back later in the week, you can. I apologize. That's you were done. Didn't mean to cut you off there. All right, let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He's up next. Scotty, what's going on, pal? Hi, guys. How you doing today? What's up, pal? Uh, question for you. Um, in regards to the coaches and who's going to coach the Giants and the DCs, to me, I'm not your typical Giant fan. I don't really care. Uh, I know that, according to Jordan Renan, that Shane Bowen was the third choice for the D.C. position, and two others turned it down, but it really doesn't matter. Now, at Scott, the end I'll of the be day. honest with you. I, I, I did not read that article. According to him, okay. what, uh, what were the first two? Who were the first two? One choices? was the D.C. from Buffalo, and I don't remember Babbage. who the second one was. Babbage, right? And, yeah. and I don't know who the second one was, but both turned it down, according to him. And then Shane Bowen was the third choice. Well, Babbage also, in fairness, got promoted from the team that he's worked with over the last few right. seasons. And my guess so. is that the second guy on that list probably also took a D.C. job somewhere else, too. So. Well, I mean, it may be right. Denard Wilson, who was a rumor. I'm just speculating here. We don't know whether or not we're operating with facts because yes. he did have, according to reports, multiple interviews. But then again, knows Ron Carthon, Ron Carthon from his Tennessee right. connection who is the general but, manager. But so, and relationship shapings. Yeah. You know, the point I'm making is you guys could coach the team, and if you win, I'm very happy with both of you. So, yes, but the, well, chances yeah. of the, but the chances of the team winning with us coaching them would be much lower <laughs> than a coach that actually knows what they're doing. Well, I'm not so sure, but anyways. <laughs> well, but, but in, in fairness, Scott, I mean, you're going to tell me Wink didn't have 
an impact on that defense? Of course. Okay, yeah. so, I mean, you just pretty much, I think you countered your own point where coaching does matter. It does have some well, influence. I'll, I'll counter my own point this way also. Uh, Dan Quinn was a hot commodity for a head coaching position. This is the same Dan Quinn that allowed, what, 42 points from uh, Green yeah, Bay. But, but and it, also, well, but, let me finish. Well, okay. The same Dan Quinn that allowed the worst comeback uh, against New England, and I think it was 28-3 to at halftime. So it's the same guy. Well, but, but Scott, in fairness, you're choosing two performances in an entire man's career where there's sure. a lot more good than bad. Yeah. I mean, you're cherry-picking based on that. Not to mention, Kyle Shanahan and that offense did a lot to contribute to help New England come True. back, and that has nothing to do with the defensive side right. of the ball. So. Well, okay. Well, let me get to my main points because I want to go back a little bit in history. Sure. And my main question is this. If you go back and you look at the relationships between quarterbacks and the head coach, starting with Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr, who, by the way, couldn't throw the ball more than 40 yards. He's wearing a gold jacket. Uh, you have Bradshaw and Knowles. You have today Reed and Mahomes. Uh, you have Johnson and Troy Aikman. Uh, Joe Gibbs did it with three different quarterbacks who won the Super Bowl. Uh, you could make the re- uh, relationship between Tomlin, Tomlinson and Roethlisberger. You could even make a case for Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning. And my basic question is this. There's got to be a rapport between quarterback and coach if you want to sustain. You have to, obviously, all those teams had great players besides the quarterback, uh, monstrous offensive lines. Well, by the way, and, Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Knoll despised one another. So doesn't matter. <laughs> they won. And that's well, but, the, but, 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 but I'm bringing that up because you just said the relationship has to be ideal, Scott. And by but the way, they, but so, no, they, they have to have some rapport is what I was well, getting. Well, and, and Scott, wouldn't. as a Giant fan, you know that Bill Parcells and Phil and Sims Phil, had correct. their moments, too. Yeah, they, right. <laughs> heads. Yeah. But, but, but they overcame it all and they developed relationships. My question to you is this. Brian Dable strikes me as a good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach, but he, this is his first head coaching job. Uh, Daniel Jones has been injured, and I think he's a quality quarterback. My question to you guys is this. How do you, how is that relationship enhanced, in other words, so that they can get the results they want on the field? Does it take more than a relationship between the quarterback and the head coach, or is it a combination of a multiple factors that allow teams to actually have the kinds of success—excuse me, the kinds of success—I was uh, going back to. Teams I think that were repeatedly. Su- I think Scott, success breeds the good relationship, not the good relationship breeding the success. Uh, I'll okay. throw—I'll throw a good example in, which I think spells out what you're talking about. Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Okay? okay, those two had a great relationship, but they also could read one another. You know, I remember having a conversation, Luke McCown, who backed up Drew Brees, veteran quarterback, he told me that there were times he'd be on the sideline, he'd be listening in, Drew knew exactly what Sean was going to call before Sean even brought the play call to the forefront. And that, I think, is a product of, to John's point, they were successful together, but I also think Drew was stable, Drew was durable, Drew was on the field. So, you know, one of the things you're bringing up is Daniel has to stay on the field yep. in order to develop right. that same rapport with Brian Dable because you don't get to the point where the quarterback can know the play that the play caller is going to throw in or whoever may be in that role unless you have at-bats. You have opportunities on the field together. That's how Drew Brees and Sean Payton got to that level. The reason why Dable, Kafka, Jones, I don't think are there yet is because Why? Daniel Jones has not been able to stay on the field. So I think you need opportunities together, and you need to do that year in and year out. 
That's what has to happen. Mahomes and Reed, how many years have they been on the field together without interruption? You know, that matters. That's where you're going to find the great quarterback coach dynamics, I think, in NFL history. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate the call. Two more calls I want to make sure we get to. And just to add this to it, I know a lot has been made of that whole, which has now turned into Brian Dable winding up and chucking a iPad or a, or a Microsoft Surface at Daniel Jones's head, which is, by the way, that's how people talk about it. <laughs> but it was really just him looking at it and then gently tossing it to shade tyranny out of frustration. And people are taking that one moment over a two-year period to say that Brian Dable doesn't like Daniel Jones. Well, let me give you an example in real life. And Dan Salmon can speak to this too. If you took a moment where either Dan or I were really frustrated with our children and how we reacted to them when they did something we got unhappy with, (laughs) and that's what you showed, and that's the one thing that people focused on, they would think we were terrible parents. Because I got to tell you, my daughter drives me nuts sometimes. (laughs) And sometimes my reactions are not great. And I wish I could take them back. But in the moment, you get frustrated, you get annoyed, and you do something. It doesn't mean that you don't get along with your kid. doesn't mean you don't love your kid. doesn't mean that Brian Dable doesn't get along with Daniel Jones. He doesn't like him as a guy and a quarterback. They don't get along. It's one moment in one frustrating period after a self-admitted terrible play by Daniel that he talked about after the game. Yeah, it was a really bad interception on the goal line against Seattle. And people turn that one bad moment into a microcosm of their relationship. You think about the person that you care about the most in your life, to everybody that's listening, and you take your worst moment with that person, you tell me how that makes your relationship look. Here's the million-dollar question. Not good. (laughs) The question is, though, this is the game changer. Did you throw the iPad at the kid? I did okay. not throw the well, there you go. The so see, that's no, why people are not going to rush to judge. You know what though? In comparison to the, I'll other tell scenario. you what though. Yes. Like if, if she doesn't want to get off her like tablet or something, you'll like take that, it out of her hands. Yeah, and then toss it like a frisbee. Maybe not like a frisbee, but will I take it and I'll like drop it down on the couch? Okay. Sure, I might do now, that. Now, Absolutely. Now we need cell phone video evidence of this the next time, so your better half, okay? Oh, I promise you, it. I have ripped the tablet out no, no. of her hands well, multiple times. I, I'm I'll sure take Dan your word for it, thing, but we need video analysis <laughs> on this show so we can compare apples to apples. See, I think you're dismissing the technology being involved <laughs> and tearing away from well, the fabric of the relationship. See now, and Dan, that's what's this. happening. The, yes, the move the kid likes to make is that they have their headphones on so they can't hear you when they're when telling them to get off the tablet. Yeah. Well, you're not even. You're just telling calmly get off the tablet get the off silent the tablet, treatment get off yeah. the tablet and they just keep staring at the tablet eventually you have to go over there and you got to take the thing out of their hands like you have no choice it's the only way to get their attention well but it's the manner in which you take it out of their hands you know do you take it with force well, let me tell you they're holding it pretty tight so you gotta, you gotta use some oomph in okay. there let me tell you well you know once again I, I think there's different dynamics in play here i'd love to spend an entire show analyzing this and we could get you know the monitor out and really draw circles and triangles and squares around every little different nuance of this analyzation. I will throw one other football-related note, and I think you and I had a show where I brought this up. Look up Jason Witt and Des Bryant against the Lions, okay? They had what looked to be a screaming match on the sideline several years ago. Then the audio was released, and it was simply Jason telling Des to calm down. And they weren't going at it with one another. So once again, if you don't have the audio for contextual purposes, it can lead to, once again, the game of speculation. But John, I always say this, football's an emotional game. 
I think we forget that I when know, we talk baby, about this absolutely. sport. No, I'm not saying that you were trying oh, to go in a different direction, but I think everybody forgets, just like you were talking about, it's emotional between you and your children. Family dynamics get emotional. It's no other difference in terms of the aspects of life. You have to account for in the heat of battle. People are going to do things that maybe they wouldn't do if it was a calm environment. Hell, when, so, when, when Bob and I are doing the live broadcast, when I produce the games, like we go at each other a little bit sometimes during commercial breaks. You're in the heat of moment. You're a live broadcast. You know, you're going. You're going. I mean, that's life. That, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, Dan, you wait for a pick up Tim and Charleston. Tell him to call back tomorrow. I don't want to shortchange his call here. Let's go to Len in Columbia, Maryland. Len, you'll wrap us up today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Len, how you doing, man? Good, good. First things first. If my phone dies, thanks for taking my call. Okay, no problem. <laughs> okay. Well, what's uh, the battery hey, uh, life like? Hey, Lin- <laughs> hey Lance, this, is, this isn't the reason why I called, but... If Brock Bowers is there at six and Joe Shane thinks he's going to be a superstar in this league, you pick Brock Bowers. Don't worry about the fact no, that you got Len, Daniel Bellinger. Better question. If he's yeah. sitting there at six and you think, I'll just throw two names out there. Let's say you believe Roma Dunzier is going to be a superstar and you think Brock Bowers is going to be a superstar. Then who do you pick? Oh, boy, John, you had to do that to <laughs> yes, me. Yes, I did, because that's the question. You mean, you mean we're actually, that's the reason, that's, well, let me, let me answer this way, and Lance heard me say this the last time we talked. Hang on to that sixth pick. There's going to be a superstar there. Yeah, it's funny. I'm usually <laughs> captain trade down here. Detino seems to be more open to trading down than I am. I, I think the players that are going to be available at six is, oh my is going to be, in my opinion, a future Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber oh player. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. I have There's more a... blue-chip players in this draft oh. class, Len, I said this last week, than the last two drafts combined. So yeah. oh, I, I, I yeah. do not have much interest no. in moving out of six to be no. And by the way, yeah. the elite players are at elite positions. It's yeah. great players yeah. at, at premier True. positions. I don't want to move out of that spot when they can get a great player at a premier position. Well, I find it yeah, hard to yeah. believe that by the time they get to six, they're not going to have a love fest with at least one player. So that's why I, I think it'd be well, too hard to pass up especially on at least okay. one individual. If three quarterbacks are in the top three, which means you're getting one of the three best yeah. non-quarterbacks in the draft. Yeah. Which fills a need clearly well, on this roster right, right now. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think you're getting one of the, if it's Bowers, I think you're getting one of the three best college football players coming out this year. I, I, I just think he's I just think he's that good. I would but, say one of five, hey, listen, but okay, fair Well, enough. I mean, here's the yeah. thing, Len. I think you take Bowers if, in your mind, Darren Waller's not in the future of your team. Yeah, well, and especially well, is not in the future well, of your yeah. team even in the short term. Agree with that. No, okay. No, well, no, well, no, Lance, that's not right. I don't think, I don't think Waller's a tight end. Well, I don't want him. You want Waller with his hand in the ground, in tight, trying to block, block somebody? Well, he's bigger than most of the wide receivers I mean, on the roster, wanna... number one. And, and number two, I mean, where has Darren Waller solely played wide receiver throughout his career? The Raiders yeah. lined him up a little bit outside. I'll give you that. Yeah. But, I mean, you're talking about Waller, Bellinger, and Bowers all on the same roster. And if assuming all of them are healthy, yes, somebody's going to have to play wide receiver if you want to put all three of those guys on the field. I just think you're playing somebody out of position then, and you're going to be doing it quite often. Well, okay, uh, I, if, if you want to, you know, for the sake of carrying three tight ends or four tight ends, if you, if you want to slot Waller in, in that line, uh, you know, okay, I just don't see him that way, Lance. I just don't see him that way. If, if anything, and let, let's see if you and I can get agreement on this. If anything, we've got to get better blocking out of that tight end position. 
Well, yeah, but you know what, Len? You're not but, drafting Brock Bowers to be a blocker. Yeah. He, he, he is well, not, he, he is, he's well, not, he is not a great forget blocker. That, forget Waller and, and Bowers. Would, would you agree that we have to hope to get better blocking? Sure. I mean, it's I just awful. But you don't have to I, use I mean, the sixth overall well, pick to do that, sure. though. It's the point, Len. Yeah. You yeah. know? No, but that's fair. And then, and, and, and by the way, real quick, apparently Tim was a little upset that I let him go. Tim, if you want to try to get in and do a quick two-minute call at the end of the show, feel free to call back. I'll put you on. I always try to save you by not making you go super quick on your phone call. But if Tim is the only day you can call, you want to call back, call back. I'll happily take you, but it's going to be a short call. Anyway, Len, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, on, on, the two new, on, on the two new coaches that we got, um, Lance will remember the last time I called, I was advocating – for um, looking at stopping the run as being the, the, the one phase of the game that we could get better at, I thought, a, a little quicker than any place else. And so I'm glad to hear, because I'm still on that line, and um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that this guy is a stop-the-run guy and has a history of that, but I do agree with one thing that Lance said, and I think Hugo also uh, earlier, that you know it's going to depend on who the that we have at his disposal, but sure. I, I like that whole idea. There's three things I don't want to say, and I'm afraid I'm going to see all three of them with this defensive coordinator. One is I don't want to see two down linemen. I, I, only two linemen with their hands. I, I just don't want to uh, see well, that Len, I, I, can, I can tell you, watching the tape today, he had four guys with their hands in the dirt on, on most plays. Okay. Now, that fourth guy, I don't want it to be Thibodeau. Oh uh, well, then you're gonna, well then you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> I, well, I'm telling you, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I am going to be disappointed with some of this. I want Thibodeau standing up, rushing the passer. And the third thing I don't want, um, and I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to categorize his philosophy as being bend, don't break. But the last thing I don't want to see is third and five, and that defensive back playing ten yards off the receiver. No, you know what? I don't think that's going to be the case, though, Lemby. They actually had fairly decent third down defenses over the course of his of of his time there in 2022 and 2021. They had the third and sixth best third down defenses in football. So I don't there think you you're going to get that there now. You, you you might get bad at balls flying over the head of your safeties. That that you might not like. Well, but yeah, yeah but he likes those seven. You know, with his seven guys dropping back into coverage. If you're covering 25 yards from the line of scrimmage with seven guys, that's pretty tight coverage. I, that's not so bad. But you got to get to the quarterback. Well, I mean, that, that's going to be the case. Yeah, of course. And, and Len, remember, yeah. Thibodeau was a defensive end at Oregon. Let's not forget yeah. about that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. not as if yeah. that's not in his wheelhouse. I mean, he, 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 almost, he always weighs 260 yeah. pounds. He isn't a small guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Hey, one, one, more, one more thing on the tight end coach. That's, that, I think that's going to turn out to be a pretty good signing. I mean, the guy was an offensive coordinator, and now we got him you know, coaching the tight ends. That's, that's pretty good. But part of his responsibility at Houston, I don't know what year it was, but he was, respons- he was responsible for the first and second down passing game. Any reviews of when you looked at this uh, at the t- new tight end coach? I did not look at the Houston tape from when he was there, okay. so I I, okay. I, I I do not have an educated well, his, opinion on that. He had okay. Well, he had supposedly had responsibility for first and second down passing game, and that fits into something that I, I really been kind of advocating. I I think the most overlooked down in football is second down. We talk a lot about getting gaining yardage on 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 first down, and we talk a lot about third downs, but. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Houston, not Houston, excuse me, maybe Tennessee was onto something with this emphasis on first and second down. 
It's supposed to be the second down part. Hey, that's all I got for you today. Thanks for taking my call. My phone lasted. Yeah, always, go. Good, to Congratulations, to always good to talk to you guys. It. Yeah, I mean, he was, Thank the, you. he was the passing game coordinator in 2022 before he took over the title of offensive coordinator in 2023. So, I mean, even as the tight ends coach, you ask most offensive coaching staffs, you know, they'll get input from the positional guys, especially if most of the guys they're coaching are expected to play pretty significant roles in the passing game, and he's going to be coaching Bellinger, he's going to be coaching Waller, and whoever else they may add to the room. But, I mean, to me, the attractive part of Tim Kelly is he's previously called plays, he's run offenses, so it's just another veteran voice in the room with Dable and Kafka. But I wouldn't necessarily label him as he's just going to help out in the passing game. I mean, they may look to him to aid in how they want to run the football on offense, too. I don't think you necessarily box in Kelly. Kelly helped with all facets of the offense in both Houston as well as Tennessee. And Dan Salmo with a nugget here. On first and second down, the Titans offense averaged 7.6 passing yards per attempt, which tied for the sixth best mark in the league. In the red zone, their touchdown rate of 64% ranked sixth. So just a couple things to keep in mind there as you look at the um, first and second down passing success. And shockingly, with all the tight end talk, Dan links to Cade Stover, Ohio State tight end, into the <laughs> into the chat. Um, and he, he's actually going to be one of the better day two tight ends that gets picked in this draft, to be quite honest with you. Um, so I think Cade Stover could be a day two target for a team. But I'm with the Alliance. If Waller is going to be here, I don't necessarily think you're using a day one or two pick at a tight end. And, and right now, there's no reason to think Waller's not going to be here, to be quite honest with you. So Yeah. Well, and once again, I prefaced it by not going to be here in the short term because remember you know I'm a big believer draft picks are not just for 2024 agree 100% especially a first rounder with a fifth year option you know you want to get a lot of bang for the buck but what I'm saying is is that you've got a young guy in Bellinger you've got Waller who can be an explosive playmaker assuming he could stay healthy now you're going to bring in another tight end and it seems as if most of the calls we received is you want to get better at blocking at that position you don't use the sixth overall pick to say yeah, we're going to improve the tight end position you, you, in the trenches. Hey, you're not drafting <laughs> Brock Bowers to block, guys. Like, and again, he's a willing blocker. He tries. He's 240 pounds. You want him blocking 275-pound defensive ends? No, you want him no. running routes. Yes, that's I mean, correct. that's like drafting Dalton Kincaid and saying, no, we're going to keep Dalton in on the line of scrimmage for 95% of our plays. Matt Laporta, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have you a Sam block. Laporta, yeah. Sam Laporta, yeah. sorry. Matt, when is Matt Laporta was somebody? Was he a baseball player, Matt Laporta? Matt Laporta, I believe, was a baseball, a baseball player, player? Or, or something to that nature. Yes, yes. You know, he was a baseball player. We're gonna yeah, draft Cleveland you Indians at, yeah. at or the, Guardians now. Yes, we're gonna draft you at the top of the second round, and we're gonna have you block. That's what no. we're going to do. Well, I mean, you just brought up Laporta. I was going to say, did the Lions use high capital on Laporta to say, oh, he's going to aid the yeah. best offensive line in football to help block for David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs? Now, if he turns into a two-way player at some that's point, fantastic. that's great. But no, you're, you're, you're drafting that guy at tight end at elite position to catch the football. That's you can bring in complementary pieces to aid your blocking. You don't use high capital on that. I just, I've never seen a team use a high pick on a tight end and say, yep, we're going to keep him as an extra offensive lineman every single down, and that's exactly how we're going to improve. No, you use the sixth overall pick because that's a game changer. That's somebody that is going to be able to take the top off the ball and get more points on the board, which we know the Giants need to drastically improve. And another nugget from Salomon, in 2022 when Kelly was the tight ends coach in Tennessee, uh, the their tight ends had the seventh most receiving yards as a unit 
in the NFL. So he knows how to use Well, Okonkwo was a really nice tight end. Led all rookies in receiving yards yeah. that year. So he deserves credit for that. And then I got to go back. You know what? I don't think he did not cross pass. Tennessee had Delaney Walker. But now that I go through the now, math, Walker he was, was in Houston. That, he was yeah. before that. Mm-hmm. So they've actually, though, had a good track record, though, of getting Ooh, a lot out of their tight ends. in Houston with? No, Delaney Kelly? Walker. Delaney Walker was in San Francisco. He was actually with Vernon Davis when the Niners played the Giants in the 2011 NFC Championship game. So his trajectory was Niners-Tennessee. Delaney Walker never crossed paths with that Houston franchise. I thought you said Houston. That's why I asked. For what? No, I was Walker. talking about Tennessee. Oh, okay. No, no, the Walker connection, I was talking about Tennessee. I thought you said Houston. What, okay, I'm sorry. I, maybe I did. It's possible. But I, <laughs> that, my point was about his Tennessee tie-in and the fact that the Titans have had some underrated tight yes. ends who did good in terms of catching the football, but also not necessarily used as blocking. And Tim, this is why I didn't want to try to squeeze in your call. See, it's 137 already. I would have had to take you for 60 seconds and let you go. You would have been unhappy to get all your points in. We would have had our nice back and forth. Um, rapport. So, well, this gives him more time. Yeah, to, Tim, I think, has chats with people in the community. That right? he does, yeah. So he'll report back to them. The problem is he'll have more substance. This might have been his only off day of the week, which is why he might be a little annoyed. Oh, as always, next week. Listen, we're not going anywhere. No, we're not going anywhere. That's sure. You know, no, yeah. except he will not have the honor of interacting with Dan Salamone, and maybe that's truly why he got heated because he's tired of talking to Pearson. When he's on home. Well, he might hold so, a grudge now because he thinks Dan's the one that hung up on well, him. Well, listen, if I'm going to shoulder the blame in a different direction, you were the one that made it clear to Dan no, that to was tell my, no, Tim I said it on the air. to go take a hike I said, and Dan, fly a kite as well. And <laughs> we'll see whether or not we can fit you in another day. So, Dan, if he calls back, just point the finger at John. I mean, John made it crystal clear that he didn't want to squeeze him in. Yes, so, and I, and I had nothing it. to do with this decision-making process. I was trying process. to do it for so. Tim's own sake. I was trying to help the man out. Well, you know, we're continuing more and more on the show now, which yes. is making you look a lot yes. worse. Yeah, a we're going to get to 139, right. 140. Tim's going to be like, you know, I could have had 10 extra minutes hey, Thanks for on being with us, everybody. For yeah. Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmoke. That's Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football giants. Giants.com slash tickets. Check it out if you want to become a season ticket member. Don't forget to download Giants TV, the Giants official and free TV connected streaming app, Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, all those good spots. Giants Mobile app. Check it all out. For Lance, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you tomorrow. Detino and I will rejoin you for Big Blue Kickoff Live. And Tim, we'll talk to you then. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.